at the time of Moses. Uh, and, and at that time, it wasn't even a temple. It was just a tent. It was a tabernacle that was set up in Israel. And God said, I'm going to put my name there on this place. And it's at this place that you're going to bring all of your sacrifices to me. And sacrifices for them in those days were burnt offerings. This is not something that, uh, you know, we took up the offering this morning, but don't, don't worry, nobody's going to light it on fire and burn it up, okay? It's going to go into the bank and be used to, to do things for the work of God here at PLC. Uh, but the burnt offerings in those days were animals, and I know that sounds rather archaic, it sounds pretty gruesome, but uh, it was what the Lord demanded at the time that that there was this sacrifice they would bring, their animals and their, their livestock, and, and they would bring grains and different kinds of offerings to the Lord. And the Bible also talks about something called a tithe. A tithe for them at this time was a tenth, tithe, tenth, uh, a tenth percent of all of their income. Whatever it was that came into their life, they were to give back to God a tenth of that. But then there was more than just the tithe. There was the free will offerings. This was something that was an overflow. When they when they felt God had blessed them, they had been a recipient of the will of, or the blessings of the Lord. They would give a a free will offering. It was above and beyond what what was expected of them or what was mandated by the law. And the firstlings of the herds of the flock. So if you if you purchased a new herd of cattle, you would give the firstborn cattle of that herd to the Lord. It was the first, the first fruits. Uh, when, when you planted your apple tree, when the apple produced the first round of fruits, that first grouping of fruits would go to the temple and be given to God so that God could could use it in his in His temple and in the, the, the dispensing of the taking care of the priests. The priests, by the way, at that time, they didn't have the opportunity to earn a living from a uh, trade or a skill. They had to earn their living from serving in the temple. And so God provided them a, a way that everyone in the nation would bring a tenth or a first fruits of their offerings to the Lord. And, and then the priests would be able to use that to feed their families. They would use it to, to support their livelihood. And this was the way God set up the economy system in the temple. And we look at this and we say, well, how does that apply to us today. That, is that just what they did then, or is there some kind of a principle? There is laws and there's principles. Laws are things that God commands us to do, but principles are things that we see exemplified in Scripture that are, they're not laws because you can't, for example, you know, the governing of, of television and internet usage couldn't have been laid out in law form in the Bible because at the time it was written, there was no such thing as the internet or television, for that matter. Uh, and, and my wife and I were just talking about how everything is merging together. TVs are getting smarter, and uh, now you can't really distinguish between a TV and a computer monitor anymore. Uh, and we actually were reading an article that said it's, smart TVs are a little dangerous because they're, they're not as secure as a computer. A computer has a little bit more security built into it but a smart TV is like a computer without the security. So people can hack into smart TVs a little easier than they can computers. So be careful how you use it, blah, 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 blah. All I'm saying is technology moves faster than laws can keep up with them. So there are principles in the Word of God that help us to govern what we watch. 
There's no law in the Bible about what shows to watch on TV. But there are principles in the Word of God. There's, there's, there's teachings that show us how does God want us to live? How does God want us to act? In? And this, I believe, is a principle. There are principles of giving of ourselves to God. Because that's what this scripture was all about. Martin Luther King Jr. asserted life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Jesus' life of total self-sacrifice is foreign to the materialism of the 21st century. I would say that we suffer mostly, I know in this time of year, many of you are catching cold and getting the flu, uh, but the, the thing that hits us year round is not influenza, but affluenza, where we, where we are so affluent, we are so materialistic in our society, we don't even realize how it permeates even how we think about our daily lives. The paradox in America today is that those in the bottom 20% of the income donate nearly three times as much to charity as those in the 20%, the top 20%. In addition, wealth affects not only how much money is given, but the target of where you give it. It is, it is statisized and, and proven in in statistics, and, and these are these are stats that come from uh, almost 10 years ago, 2012. But I, in in preparing for this message, I, I double checked the article that I was reading and tried to compare it as best I could to current statistics. And by current, I mean the best that they had or the closest they had was 2020 or 2018 between those years. I guess it takes a lot of time to sort through all the, the numbers and come up with things that you can actually read in an article. Uh, but, but it's still pretty, pretty current. These statistics that were taken in 2012, 2013 are still pretty relevant today um, to what was being said in this article. The vast majority of the largest individual gifts to charities in 2012 went to educational institutions. You think, great, our school could use a donation a uh, generous donation that, that tops a, a, a cookie sales or a pizza day at school, right? However, most of the money that went to education went to places like Harvard, Columbia University, Berkeley, museums, art institutions, medical facilities, and fashion charities. I, never, I didn't know what a fashion charity was, but apparently there are fashion charities out there. Of the 50 largest donations, get this, in North America, not one went to a social service organization a or a charity that mainly serves the poor. This is, a, by the way, if you want to look at this article, it's written by Ken Stern, Why the Rich Don't Give to Charity at theatlantic.com. One explanation he gives for this that Actually, Harvard wrote a response to this article, which was quite good. One explanation is that the closest ones to the need are the ones who are most likely to give. Those who are removed from the need don't feel the compelling 
need to give to those needs. Another observation is that while the wealthy often give out of generosity, the poor give sacrificially. The middle class, the median, often give not out of their excess, but out of their necessity. God could have stayed in heaven and could have been very generous. God could have stayed in his lofty throne and stayed in his heavenly court surrounded by angels and an emerald rainbow and a sea of glass and, and all of the things that the scripture uses to describe the throne room of heaven and still given great attention to the people of earth. If you think of the galaxies in the world and the, the, the amazing expanse of space and the amount of planets and stars that exist, it would blow your mind. And, and if God with all of that wealth, with all of that resource, could have bestowed generously upon the humans of tiny little planet Earth, we who are among the smallest planets in our solar system and definitely of our galaxy, God could have looked upon this tiny little speck of dust on a speck of dust and bestowed great generous gifts to the people of Earth and remained in his heavenly throne. But instead, he made the greatest sacrifice. God did not give out of his abundance. God gave out of his necessity. He came and became a man. The Bible says that God became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. God did not send somebody else. He came himself. God did not uh, give this job to an angel. He did not give it to a, a subordinate in his court. God did not commission a group or, or, or put a think tank together to come up with a solution. God knew from the very foundation of the world, the Bible says, that he would manifest himself in flesh and he would be crucified by his own creation and he would subdue his own moral body to the pains of death for our sake. What is a sacrifice? What is a sacrifice? The dictionary, dictionary defines a sacrifice as the act of slaughtering an animal or a person. Let's not do that. Or surrendering a possession as an offering to God or to a divine supernatural figure. But let's take that a little closer to home. A sacrifice is an act of giving up something valuable for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. A sacrifice is you surrendering something that is valuable to you in exchange for something that is more valuable in return. You see something out there that you really desire, parents, your children, you often sacrifice for them. You sacrifice what you desire so that you could see them succeed. How often have you heard a mother say she's going shopping for herself? And she goes to the store and she comes back. This happens so often at my house. And the bags that come in the house all have all children's place labels on them. And children's this. And, and then she pulls something out of the bag and she hands it to me and she says, oh, and I found this for you. And I look at my wife and I say, so I thought you were going to the store for yourself. What did you buy for you? She said, oh, I got, after I got finished shopping for everybody else, I was finished shopping, and so I just came home. 
Is that not the plight of a mother, of a parent that puts the needs of their family ahead of themselves? What they would like to go by, they, they often reduce. They often say, no, I'm going to say no to this so I can say yes to my kids. They need soccer money. They need money for pizza. They need money for this. I was talking at, a, at the, the Jake and his swimming lessons at Audley, and I was sitting next to a man who was telling me he was very proud of his oldest son who's at university in London and studying to be a doctor and him and his wife and children were at a wedding and they were eating, they were from India, or yes, they were from India and they were they were having a, a, a very huge spread of food at this wedding, but their eldest son couldn't be there. So he called his eldest son from the middle of the wedding. He says, I want you to order some Uber Eats and get a good one. And, it's, and here's my credit card and go order yourself some Uber Eats tonight. And the son was like, why, why dad, why? Like, you're paying for my school, why are you? He says, because we're here eating good food, and you're sitting in your dorm studying. I want you to eat good food with us. And my heart was just like, isn't that the heart of a dad, that his son is slaving himself away to the books to studying in medical school, and dad says, go order yourself something good from Uber Eats, because I love you. And that, that is... That is the heart of a parent that says, I'm going to give something is worth more to me than this thing that I value. My money is something I value, but when it comes to my kids, it'll slip out of my pocket faster than you can say spend because it's for something more valuable. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. It's actually an essential element to a successful life. To be an achiever, one must work hard to be disciplined. It is hard to work. And, and you've got to get used to doing hard things. It's good to do hard things. It's good to be tired at the end of the day. And it's good to be tired at the next of the end day. Uh, at the end of the next day. And it's good to be tired at the end of the following day, and the following day, and, 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 and it's good to be tired at the end of every day of your week, even the day that you set aside for rest. You should be doing something that makes you tired at the end of that day because doing hard things is good. Success is only accomplished when you work hard. Amen. You know that old saying, wow, they have so much potential. That phrase has merit, but only for so long. After a while, that phrase, they have so much potential, turned to they had so much potential. That, that phrase is good for young people and youth, but after you, you graduate high school, that have turns into had pretty quick. Now you've got to learn how to put your hand to the plow and get up early in the morning and go to bed early at night so you can go. I'm, I'm preaching to somebody here this morning, but, but this is a principle of the word of God. Values hard work. He values discipline. He values the things that we look and we say, I don't really want to do that, but I'm going to get up and do it anyway. Because it's a sacrifice. If you're, going to, if you're going to achieve the thing that is valuable to you, you've got to give up something that is valuable to you. It's a sacrifice. There's always a sacrifice if you're going to learn how to play an instrument, you've got to sacrifice. If you're going to learn how to operate a certain kind of machinery, you're going to have to sacrifice. If you're going to learn how to, how to do any kind of skill, any kind of trade, something is going to have to take the hit. Amen. The rich young ruler asked Jesus, 
How could he enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. One thing. And you go, oh, but that sounds pretty easy. I'm good with one thing. I don't like it when people tell me five things to change. One thing is good. And so Jesus gives it to him, the one thing. Go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross, and follow me. And it was like a knife to his soul. Because that one thing was the thing that he valued and treasured the most. I wouldn't say that this is the answer for every person. But for this man in particular, Jesus saw the God that sat on the throne of his heart. Yes. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to dethrone that God. And you've got to surrender him to the will of God. And you've got to come and follow me. There is a point in your life, and I feel the Holy Ghost on this point, that God's backing me up on this today. Yes. There comes a point in your life. Where God's going to ask you to surrender the God that sits on the throne of your heart. And it's going to be like a knife to your soul. Because it is. It's a sacrifice. It's always a sacrifice. I love that God does not sugarcoat the gospel. Amen. Jesus didn't say, if you want to be my follower, then take up your candy bag and follow me. Pick up your popcorn at the concession stand when you get into church and sit there and just enjoy the sermon that's going to tickle your ears and make you feel all good on the inside. Yes, there is the things that make you feel good. There is the things that bring life to your soul. But there will be a cost. There will be a sacrifice. There will be some time when God calls you to something higher than where you are today. For this man... His value of riches and the security that he had in life were the great hindrance, not the help, to his spirituality. So Jesus said, if you're going to have a relationship with me, you cannot have two gods at the same time. Amen. I love how Jesus didn't beat around the bush. He didn't use kid gloves. His approach was direct and straightforward. He wasn't rude. He didn't berate the man or tell him how horrible he was. He just said, man, if you're going to follow me, this is the cost of your discipleship. On another occasion, Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 9, 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Daily. It's a daily right. surrender right. to the flesh. It's a daily surrender to the will of our flesh, to the will of of God. Even this morning I've talked to you about sacrifice, animal sacrifice, and which includes that that queasy topic of blood. We sing songs about blood in church, and I've often thought from a outsider's perspective how odd and strange that must be. You know, I remember hearing a story of this guy who Went through a Bible study, he wanted to be baptized, and the guy was covered in tattoos from head to toe. Like, I mean, like the full body kind of tattoo. Like, every inch of his body was covered in ink. And so you can imagine, this man probably didn't, and he didn't, he did not grow up in any kind of a Christian environment. It was very, just live and let live, do whatever you like. And, and he had a, a change of heart, and... and uh, and the guy decided to get baptized. And so the church was celebrating. This was a great moment. This guy was surrendering his life to Jesus. And 
and he was going to give his life over to the Lord and he had completely transitioned. His lifestyle was so different. And when he got into the baptismal tank, the very uh, old school guy who was baptizing him said, I'm now going to baptize you in the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name, now, now please understand, that is not something I will say over someone when they're getting baptized. But he was so excited. This gentleman who was baptized was so excited about what was going to happen to this guy when he went. And when the guy heard that, he thrashed and flew out of the water. He was like, they're going to baptize me in blood. What? Who? What? what kind of a place is this? This is nuts. Because the idea of blood is something, it's, it's a queasy topic and it sounds odd and strange. So I, I wanted to show you just briefly what the Bible means when it talks about blood. And, and trust me, this makes a connection. But uh, everything that I've said is gonna is gonna make sense at the end. So just follow me for a minute, okay? The blood has always been something has has always had a mystical air to it. Cults, religions, secret society have always used blood in their ceremonies, whatever for whatever reason. But it, it's there. Uh, there's that phrase, "You signed your name in blood." It's that that idea that it's irrevocable. You've put your DNA on the page, and it's. It's your, it's you. There's no way to mistake it. Uh, some individuals have used the mingling of blood as a sign of bombing, bonding or camaraderie. Uh, you know, they have the, the brotherly handshake where they, they make a cut in each other's hand and shake their hand and mix their blood together and they become blood brothers. That's where that phrase comes from. In scripture, blood and sacrifice are intricately connected. Blood and sacrifice are prominent themes throughout God's dealing with humanity. It's a recurring theme, and from Genesis to Revelation, you will see the trail of blood from every page in your Bible to the very end, the book of Revelation. The first record of animals being sacrificed for sin is found in Genesis 3, verse 21. Adam and Eve are exiting the garden. They before had no need of clothes because the Bible gives us a sense that they were clothed in the glory of God. But when they sinned, the glory of God could no longer clothe their life, so they became naked and ashamed. And so God instituted clothing in the Garden of Eden. And uh, man tried to cover up his loins with uh, fig leaves. But God said, sorry, that's not sufficient. You need the skin of an animal. So an animal was slain, and its skin was given to man, to Adam and Eve, to clothe them in the Garden of Eden. Blood was shed because of sin. Because sin entered the world, blood began to flow. And from that very first sacrifice until Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, there was a never-ending flow of blood sacrifices at an altar where people would confess their sins. What was the purpose of blood? Why, why was blood a symbol of sacrifice for redemption? What, why did God require innocent blood as atonement for sin? When we look at Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it gives us the very clear description. And I'm going to read it for you. You can follow along with me on the screen. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for yourselves. There's one of those big Bible words. Atonement. Everyone say atonement. atonement. Make an atonement for yourselves. Make an atonement. Garfield, can you come up here and help me? You just stand right there. God says, I'm, I'm giving you blood to make an atonement for your soul. See, the soul had become stained. And I didn't want to stain my brother's good shirt here this morning. So if you just imagine 
large blotches of stains all over his clothing. You imagine that with me. Sin represents those stains. Something that is unwanted and yet it's there and cannot be removed. Shout won't get it out. It's there permanently. It's a permanent stain. But God says, I'm giving you something to make atonement. The word atonement simply means a covering. God gives man innocent blood. And that when the blood was sacrificed and man would repent for his sins, God would apply the blood of that innocent animal to the life record of that person who was making the sacrifice. You say, well, why was it a sacrifice? Because the family had to take the first and the best of their flocks to sacrifice. You couldn't just take any animal out of the flock. In fact, in later days, as Israel would become more of a nation, it was common for you to take the house pet kind of animal to offer as a sacrifice. This was something that was near and dear to the family's heart. And so sin was seen as something that not only affected you, but it affected your whole house. It affected everything you did. And if you didn't have an animal as a pet or livestock, you had to buy one. And that meant money out of the out of the budget for food and for activities and for lifestyle because sin was so important to God. It cut man off from God, but the blood would be given as an atonement. It didn't wash away the sin. It didn't remove the sin. It covered the sin. So when God looked at that person, he could not see the sin any longer. He would see the covering of the blood. The price for the sin had been paid. Thank you very much. It was given as an atonement for sin. Under the law, animal sacrifices covered the sins of the Hebrew people. And so you might say, well, couldn't God just overlook the sin? Couldn't he just forgive and forget? Well, ask that to the family of a serial killer who has taken their child and their, their loved one and not only killed but dismembered and brutally treated that person. Would you look that family and say, well, can't you just forgive and forget? Why do you have to Why do you have to prosecute this criminal? Why does this person, why, why do you need the closure of that criminal case? And of course, I'm using the most extreme example to prove a point. That to God, all sin cuts us off from him. Sin is a separation from his beloved creation. The Bible says that God spoke the light into existence. God spoke birds and animals and flowers. You ever notice the intricacies of nature and how detailed things are and how beautifully created to the extent that there are creatures and animals that have not yet been discovered in our own earth because, and cataloged because of its vast and its creative power and prowess. It's amazing. It's phenomenal. Yet the Bible does not say that God had made any of those things. He simply spoke them into existence. But when it came to man, God stooped down out of his heavenly grandeur, took his hand, uh, dipped it into the soil and the clay of the earth, uh, and fashioned and formed a man. And then God gave man a gift that he gave no other being, nor the created element in his world. The Bible says he breathed into man 
the breath of life. That word breath is the same word that later would be used to describe the Holy Spirit. The Spirit. God breathed of His Spirit into man and gave man a piece of Himself. God downloaded into Him all that was His and gave Him dominion over the world. God made a mini version of Himself, breathed it, gave it autonomy and the ability, the free will to choose, and set Him up in a garden. And the only thing man had to do was not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yet man chose to take knowledge of good and evil into his own hands. And from that point forward, there was no murders, there was no disease, there was no dis discrepancies at all in man before sin. But after sin, it didn't even take a generation. It was two brothers, uh, the sons of Adam and Eve, uh, who ended up in the first murder trial of that whole world, that new world that God had created. And Cain, out of jealousy, killed his brother Abel. And blood was shed. And God even said to Cain after Cain finished plunging the stone into his brother Abel's head. And the blood trickled off of his brow into the earth. God spoke to Cain and says, your brother's blood is crying up to me from the ground for justice. Because the blood speaks. And so if the blood of sin will speak, so the blood of redemption speaks for us. Why is blood important? Because blood meant that the life of something else was taken to cover the life of another. The life of the animal was taken so the life of the sacrificer could be covered. This was not a perfect system. In fact, it, it was so imperfect it had to be repeated every time you sinned. It had to be repeated every year for the entire nation. It was not a good system. God did not like this as a final solution. So the Bible says that when the time was right, God waited until the right time when things could be in order and in place. And God came himself, manifested himself in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed unto the world, received up into glory. He came himself and paid the price on the cross for our sins. Hebrews 10.3 says, but in those sacrifices, there is remembrance again made for sins every year, for it's not possible the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Hebrews 7.26 says, For as such an high priest came, became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins, and then for the people's. He did this once when he offered up himself. Jesus, the high priest, the greatest high priest, offered up his own blood to cover the sins of man. No longer do we have to repeatedly offer animal sacrifices on an altar because Jesus gave himself as the greatest sacrifice. Remember what Leviticus said? The life of the flesh is in the blood. And Jesus sacrificed his blood, his life for us. You might even say that we are not just covered in the blood of Jesus, but we are covered in the life of Jesus. For Jesus has also once suffered for sins, 1 Peter 3.18, the just for the unjust. Jesus was the just, I was the unjust. He might bring us to God and being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice when he allowed himself to be crucified on the cross. That his sacrifice would be the greatest one because he offered his whole life. 
He did not give a portion of it. He didn't give a percentage of it. He didn't give 10% of his life. He gave 100% of his life to us so that the song that says it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. It's the blood that gives me strength. It doesn't matter where you are this morning. The blood of Jesus can reach you. The life of Jesus can cover you. I don't care what your sin was. I really, really don't. It doesn't matter. You could tell me it was the most heinous act, most criminal act in this world that has yet been known to man. And the blood is still able to cover that sin. It can be the smallest of faults and the littlest of lies. And it is still reachable by the blood of Jesus Christ because he sacrificed himself. He did not like other religions send another. He didn't like other stories send someone else in his stead. He came himself and sacrificed the greatest thing that he had, his own life. Amen. You see why? You see why? Christianity doesn't demand a portion. It demands the whole person. That's why following Jesus isn't a half-hearted endeavor. It's not a part-time job. It's not a once on Sunday and half on Wednesday type of thing. It's a daily thing. It's an everyday thing. Sunday is an extension of what you should be doing every single day of the week. Sunday isn't your day of worship. It's the day of corporate worship. Because the day of worship for a Christian, for a follower of Jesus, is every single day. Sunday isn't the day of prayer. It is every single day. Uh, we, we talk about Christmas and Easter, these high, holy days of Christianity. But the truth is, at, at PLC, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus every week of the year. Yes, we make special emphasis at certain times of the year for the sake of, uh, of tradition and, and recognition in our society. But the truth is, we talk about the cross and, and the stable and the, and the birth and the death and the life of Jesus every chance we get. We talk about it so much that it, it might bore you to death. You might get so bored with the story because you've heard it so many times. But to those who it is your lifeline, uh, it's the everyday thing. If it wasn't for the blood uh, of Jesus, uh, I would not be in this pulpit. But this morning, I wouldn't be standing. I wasn't. I was born to good parents with good morals, but their good morals couldn't keep me from a life of sin. Their good upbringing couldn't keep me from making my own mistakes as a teenager. But God rescued me out of my own decisions and out of my own sins and out of my own mistakes that would have surely led me down a devil's hell and into a road of destruction. And my life would not be where it is today if it had not been for the Lord Jesus who had intercepted in my life and stepped in and applied his blood to my sinful life. And I believe there's those of you here today that you can say the same. Forgive me if I'm raising my voice. If it sounds like I'm yelling, I'm not mad at anybody. I just feel this so deeply within me. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. He gave up his whole life. Whole life. He gave up his whole. He didn't hold back anything. He didn't surrender a part. He gave everything. So what is it to be a Christian? The word Christian means Christ follower. Christ's follower. What God invites you and I to do is to be part of somebody else's covering. 
we know how to be covered. Many of you here today have been covered, baptized in Jesus' name, covered by the blood, filled with the Spirit, empowered by His essence living on the inside of you. You know what it is to be covered. You've repented of your sins. You've given your life to God. And there's been a covering. You felt the mantle of the life of Jesus cover you. And oh, what it's like a warm hug. Oh, what peace that comes over the soul when you when you reflect on your past and you then you remember. Satan tries to bring up your past. He, he does it often. I don't know about you, but he does with me. He tries to remind me. And all I have to do is take him back to the place where I was baptized as a six-year-old boy. And the blood that flowed over me at six years of age when I knew what I was doing and I went into the waters of baptism in Jesus' name, that blood still is applied to my life. I'm still covered today. The mistakes I made yesterday are covered by the blood Amen. of Jesus. Amen. But he invites me into the job of helping somebody else be covered. It's like God, Garfield, if you help me one more time. Grace, if you want to be our guinea pig, just stand right there. God invites us to take one end of the, of the covering and help apply it to somebody else's life. Does God need my help to apply that covering to somebody's life? No, but he invites me to participate in that, that, that sacrificial lifestyle. What does it take to be part of somebody else's covering? It takes sacrifice. It takes a willingness to get involved. It takes a willingness to say yes to something and say no to something else. It takes a willingness to look at your timetable of your week and say, you know what? I, I value my time and I value volunteering. I value doing this and that and the other thing. But I also see what value it is. That what kind of a price tag could you put on the soul of another person? And God could do it all by himself. But he's invited me into the process because he's asked me to be just like him. And when he gave his all, thank you, when he gave his all for me, he also expects me to give my all to him. How can I give my all to God? The Bible says that if you love God, you've got to do it with your whole heart, your whole soul, and with your whole strength. You've got to do it with all of your emotions, all of your decisions. You've got to do it with your whole being, and you've got to do it with all the strength you have, all the resources and faculties that are available to you. It's got to be your life force. It's got to be your, your energy. It's got to be everything that is most important to you is poured into your love for God. But what about me, Pastor? What about my job? What about my kids? What about these things that I love? Jesus knew. Jesus understood. But he gave you a little promise. If you can make this your life verse, I encourage you to make it your life verse. If there was a verse you embroidered, uh, you know, it's funny, all the, 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 you can go to the Christian bookstore if they still have them online. You used to be able to go into a bookstore and often you'd see decorations, you know, wood paneling with fancy decorative scriptures. I never walked into a Christian bookstore and said, saw the, the verse, Take up your cross and follow me, painted on it. It was always, you know, some kind of a blessing verse. It was always kind of a, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was always the positive verses. It was never the ones about sacrifice that were plastered. But if you could make this your life verse, where Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
all these things shall be added unto you. What are all these things? If you read the preceding verses in Matthew 5, you'll read where Jesus said, don't take thought for your life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, how you're going to clothe yourself, how you're going to fund your, your this and that and the other thing. All of the cares of life, don't make that your primary, primary seek for and care for life. But seek first God's kingdom. Seek first his will. Seek first his desires. And then God said, I'll make sure all these things are added unto you. I'll add them to your life. I'll add the things you need. I'll add the things you need to drink. I'll add the clothes you need to wear. I, I don't know what, what it was, but there was a period of our of our of our life when, when Steph and I had just one or two kids. When when the, it seemed like every clothing need we had for our kids was provided before we could even get to the store. Steph would begin to make a list. Well, I need to I need new pants for Jake and I need new this for, for Zachary, I need this. And the next thing we know there was a black garbage bag of clothes someone had brought to us at church and said, Here, here's my 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 uh, my sister has twins and uh, she has two of everything and she's giving them away because her boys are outgrowing it and it went on for years God would just supply go he would just add those things to our life he would just add those things I believe that was God we were seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and God was just adding the things we needed before we even knew I can't I can tell you story after story of how God just added on the things we needed we didn't even know we needed it. He just added it on to our life because we were seeking first God's kingdom. Listen, when you give your whole life to God, it may seem like the knife dagger to the heart at first. It may seem like, man, this is really hard to do, and it is. But you get on the other side of that sacrifice, and you realize there's so much life, and there's so much peace, and there's so much joy, and God promised, I will take care of your needs according to to my riches in glory. We stand this morning. I know this is a, a message on sacrifice is always one that gets our, our, our flesh kind of worried. What, what's pastor going to ask us to do? I don't want you to do a ton this morning. All I want for you to do is take some time this morning as we as we prepare to close this service to pray and to seek the Lord and to ask him God how how is it that you want me to give of myself how do you want me to get involved what God is asking of us this morning is is is, is giving getting involved in the work of his kingdom. How, how do I give myself to God? In your time, your talents, and your treasure. Your time, your talent, your treasure. We'll talk about treasure next week. What that means in giving of your, your finances and your money to the Lord. And what that looks like. It's not as scary as it sounds. Trust me. It's not as, 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 as dr dramatic as it might sound. But there is so much blessing for you in giving of yourself. One of the greatest experiences I ever had was the first time I was allowed to baptize someone in Jesus' name. I was in a prison in Louisiana. I'll never forget the sound of the doors as they closed behind you, the echo of those giant steel doors as the locking mechanisms click into place. 
was ominous and foreboding. And it, that, that, that tone, the k'tum, has lasted in my brain for years. But above the sound of the inmates working and playing and doing their thing in their, their pens and in their, their common areas was the most beautiful sound, was the sound of those men lifting up their hands, all dressed in the same clothes, wearing the same uniform, but lifting their hands and crying tears of joy because they knew that whatever sins they were still paying for as far as society was concerned were eternally covered by Jesus Christ. And even better than that was the giant, burly, huge, massive man. I didn't even know how he was going to fit in the baptismal tank. They were using a horse trough. Nothing fancy. But there was something remarkable on his face. The guilt and the shame that laden those heavy lines in the eyes and in the face were washed away when he came out of that water in Jesus' name. Because there was something that a prison could not hold back, and that was the blood of Jesus that covered his life. But it was a sacrifice to get there. It took time, it took energy, it took resources for me to get to that place. But I was part, I was part of somebody's atonement. I was part of somebody's covering. I was part of someone's eternal salvation. I didn't save them. I didn't do anything to save them, but I was part of it. God gave me one corner of the covering robe and allowed me to assist in, in spreading that covering over that man's life. Who will you assist in atoning for their life? What life will you impact? What, what person will you bless by becoming part of their, sacrifice, of, of their surrender to God? I wonder if we would take time this morning around this altar to pray and to seek God. Would you ask God to give you a heart that seeks after him and is willing to sacrifice? We're going to play some music here just to kind of drown out the voice. You can pray out loud to the Lord and not feel self-conscious. But would you come and, and present your life to God and give yourself to him and in whatever way? God, I don't know how you want me to. To, to live for you. I don't know how you want me to sacrifice. I don't know what you want me to give specifically, but I'm willing to give myself to you in some way. I'm willing to learn what it means. And maybe you're at the place where you're like, I, I don't even know what it means to give myself, but, but you can say, God, I'm willing to learn what it means to give myself to you. Would you come? Would you come and pray and seek the Lord this morning as we pray just for a few moments? Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 